Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. I have Adrian Westenfeld back on Lit Up due to popular demand. Hello, welcome. Hi Angie, thanks for having me back. So we're in person, which is so nice. It is. First off, if you don't know who she is, she's Esquire's books and fiction editor. She also writes about culture, TV, film. Last time you were here, we talked a lot about some of the books that were coming up. So that would have been the books of 2022. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always interesting to see when the dust settles, what books you still remember as being so wonderful. So what were the standouts of last year? So the things that often stand out to me by the end of the year, so we have this thing called Esquire Book Club, right, which I curate. And the the format is that every month, it's a monthly interview series with the author of a new book. And then we do some sort of event together, whether it's a, a Twitter space or an in-person event. And the things that often rise to the top of my mind are my Esquire Book Club picks because I get to live in that world for a couple weeks and read the book, spend so much time preparing for the Q&A and for the event. And there's always a bit of a hangover after we're all done because I'm so used to being in that world. And one book that I was really hungover after was Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. Did you read it? I haven't, but you I will love, love it. her and her work. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's um, kind of like a puzzle box of a novel. It, it folds back on itself like a hall of mirrors. There are three characters across five centuries linked by this one anomaly in linear time. And it causes them to question the nature of our reality. One is in the Canadian wilderness, one is living on a lunar colony, and the other works for the Time Institute in the year 2401, I think. So it's, I mean, fans of science fiction would love this. It's a great time travel novel, but it's a very literary novel. One of the things I love about Mendel's work is that I, I don't know, speculative fiction has become so synonymous with dystopian fiction, but, but her work is so human and hopeful and full of joy and humor. And this novel brings all of that. That sounds gorgeous, actually. It is gorgeous. Because it's also, I think, 270 pages. Oh, what I a mean, relief. You could, yeah, you, yeah <laughs> no shade to long novels, but I do love something that you could read in a, a day or two. Well, it's interesting because as an editor, right, I've been there, you get these books and you know they're by such brilliant mm-hmm. authors. And then sometimes you see how big they are and you go, I don't even know how I can mm-hmm. fit this in with my schedule of reading. Yes. Sometimes it's just a nice palate cleanser to have a, a slim novel to yeah, read. Yeah, and that, that it's happening over 500 years. She's packed so much detail, so much world building into that short space. I love it. Any others? Let's think. 
Another book I keep thinking about is Less is Lost by Andrew Sean Greer. Did you read that one? No, I didn't. And I was obsessed with Less, the first one. Yes, I'm obsessed with Less. It's probably my most recommended book. If I meet a stranger and they say, oh, you're the books and fiction editor at Esquire, what do you recommend? I would recommend Less because I think it's, it's got something for everybody. It's comic, it's tragic, it's bittersweet, it's romantic, it has a happy ending, it's about travel. Who doesn't like travel? Um, it's about aging and heartbreak and romance. And Less is Lost is, you know, all that and more. I it, was it's all worried. The stuff. I think I enjoyed Less so much. I thought, I'm just going to keep that experience in mm-hmm. my mind and that was okay. And then a sequel, I was like, oh. Yeah, he's always doing this, right? I think with Less, it's as if... At least when I interviewed him, he talked about how people say, you can't write a literary novel with a happy ending. And he said, yes, I can. And then they said, you can't write a sequel. And he said, yes, I can. (laughs) And he has once again succeeded. It's just as full, I mean, laugh out loud humor, like Shakespearean farce kind of stuff. Less floods a commune. It's so good. But but it made me weep at the end. It's just wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, I did another podcast with my colleague, Ruby Smith, and we talked about kind of the books of last year and the things we were looking forward to reading. And then I had said The Marriage Portrait by Mm -hmm. Maggie O'Farrell, and I absolutely loved this book. I didn't read this book. I need to. Did she write Hamnet? She did. did. And I haven't read that. Mm -hmm. So now I want to read that. But this one I think you will absolutely love because I remember last time we spoke, you loved um, Lauren Groff's Mm -hmm. novel. Fates and Furies. Oh, well, not that one. Matrix. Oh, Matrix, yes. you were about to read Matrix. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read that one, but... I did. You did. Loved it. That's another great recommendation for everyone. But if this one is historical fiction and it's inspired by the life of one of the Medici daughters who at 15 or maybe it was 14 was married off to Alfonso, the Duke of Ferrara. And actually it's fascinating. Her wet nurse uh, lied about when she got her period because, you know, he wanted to marry her and she was 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, okay, you're off fighting a war in France how about when she gets her period and becomes a woman, you can marry her? And whether this, you know, was actually true or not, in Maggie O'Farrell's retelling, the wet nurse, you know, that she's grown up with hides to give her a year or so mm-hmm. to mature and just be a child and have a, you know, a protected life she does have to go and live with Alfonso, who's incredibly handsome and charismatic, but has a very dark, dark side. And so I'm not, this isn't Mm -hmm. a spoiler, but they think that he had her killed because she wasn't able to produce a male heir only a year (sighs) or so after they were married. So this is from her point of view and it's just such an intricate look at this time Um, and all the almost all the historical facts around Mm -hmm. the story uh, are true Mm -hmm. so you're learning so much about the court in Italy and what was happening politically at the time reimagined through Maggie O'Farrell's imagination. That sounds incredible this is making me think of Hilary Mantel I Mm -hmm. think she has that gift too of you 
You've come for the human drama, but you learn so much about the political and royal landscape. That's exactly, I think that's where I'm leaning towards in my reading right now. I want to learn, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, give me a little romance or sexiness, yeah. you know, throw that in. And there's something so delicious and novelistic about when you know the history and you know that somebody is doomed, about starting that novel and knowing how it will end. In, in Mantel's work, we know that Anne Boleyn's going to lose her head, but I love being along for the journey with her. Well, it's interesting you said that. The opening of this book is the day of when she will get murdered mm. and this dread and being in this, this damp kind of, it's not a castle, but a place where she knows she's been taken and no one else knows where she mm-hmm. is. And then we go back and we experience the joy of parts of her childhood. Wow. Ah, it's great. It's great. I'm seeing a genre here about doomed historical women. There'd there'd be so much to explore in that space. Oh my gosh. There's a great, you might love this book. I'm going to get the name wrong, but I'll put it in the show notes. But Jennifer Wright is a really interesting writer And she wrote a book about like the historical love affairs gone wrong, like the Mm. most, oh no, that was it, the worst breakups in history. (laughs) You know, and some of them are, oh, she got beheaded, but it's a look at in such a comical way, you know, stories we all know about or might not know about told through the lens of like, okay, if you think you've had a bad breakup, (laughs) you've got nothing on, you know, this real thing when someone got fed to the lions. I've got to read that. So some other things I want to ask of Adrian. you know, we always ask like, what are you excited for this year? And I think we really do want to know, mm-hmm. what have you read this year that you think you've, you've thought is, is excellent so far? Mm-hmm. And is there something coming up that you might've read that no one else has yet? I, oh man, you should see my galley piles. They're out of control. Um, one novel I'm, very excited about his Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Adjay Brenya, who wrote Friday Black, which we excerpted in Esquire. I was lucky enough to work on that. And I think he's just a volcanic talent. I mean, someone who writes these speculative premises that are just such keen looks at the rot in our society. Um, this new novel is about the for-profit prison system. It's set in a dystopian future where prisoners are gladiators and they have to fight their for their freedom. But this is about women gladiators. It's just heart-pumping, exciting, and has all of the inside of Friday Black and more. That sounds amazing. And actually, I know his editor well, Mm -hmm. Naomi Gibbs. Mm -hmm. We used to work with um, when she was at HMH, where we used to publish. And she is just such a phenomenal talent and so good at nourishing talent. And I know they've worked together Mm you know, on Friday Black and now this novel. So I'm so excited to read that as well. It's phenomenal. Um, Okay, any others? Because I have one that's very, well, I can't wait to read um, Romantic Comedy, the Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, me too. New one. I haven't read it I'm going to run home and take it off my shelf. I haven't gotten there, but it's there and I know it. What a great title. I just feel like I even say that out loud and my shoulders relax. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you mean... Someone as brilliant as her has written a novel and it's about just comedy writers. It's obviously mm-hmm. going to be about so many more layers to that, but the cover looks really fun. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's going to be a huge book of I think so too. The, I think the she, spring. She's so gifted, such a keen observer of of people and their follies. I love her short stories. Not as familiar with her as a novelist, but this will be exciting. I can't wait. Okay, so now part of what you do is mm-hmm. you uh, you know, you edit across culture for Esquire as well. And, you know, we're all obsessed with TV and film right now. And so much of that source material is coming from books. Mm -hmm. Tell us about some of your favorites or maybe what you know is coming up or something to be aware of that the rest of us who aren't editors and get all the, you know, special early Mm -hmm. galleys, screeners, like what should we know about? So upcoming adaptations. Um... I was lucky enough to go see Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which as my, you know, 10-year-old Judy Bloom love and self, that really had me hit the roof. Um, it's out- and? It's outstanding. I mean, I laughed, I cried. We must, we must increase our bust. It's just so, like, it really takes you back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was actually talking to a, my friend, colleague, Ruby, about that. And remember when puberty... Well, I'm like, remember when puberty happened mm-hmm. to us, but also how Judy Bloom was the only writer that I could find writing about that mm-hmm. in the, I mean, it would have been like the late 80s when mm-hmm. we got to read these books for me, or maybe mm-hmm. early 90s. So I'm glad it delivers. Is it set now or? It's it's set in the time the book was. Um, Great. Which I, I think is the perfect choice. Not that it couldn't be updated, but. It's so much of that time and place. Oh, that sounds and, really fun. And I love that it's coming now when we're having these conversations about banning books and how terrible that is. You, you saying she was the only person you could find writing about puberty. I mean, she's still widely banned in libraries, at schools. That book, is, it makes me so sad to think that it's being pulled out of girls' hands. But it still is. And so I'm glad to see it coming to our movie theaters, if not our libraries. Definitely. Okay, well, I'm going to share that Fleischman in Trouble was an incredible example of an adaptation done so, so well and great that mm-hmm. Taffy was the person to adapt mm-hmm. that herself. I'm curious, sorry to ask you a question about a question, but what makes an adaptation done well for you? That's such a good one. I mean, I think... In Fleischman is in trouble for me. I wasn't even looking for that to be as true to my reading as the book Mm -hmm. as it was. Like I felt like the adaptation was so engrossing Mm -hmm. that it became its own thing. Mm. I no longer was comparing. I was just like these were kind of new characters to Mm -hmm. me. They weren't exactly how I'd imagined them, but I was able to let that Mm -hmm. go because the actual filmmaking or the the acting was so great in and of itself. So maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of others because I haven't seen Laura Dave's novel that I interviewed her about, oh my gosh, is coming out on Apple mm-hmm. with Jennifer Garner in it. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I can't get the title, but the last trailer thing, looked... Last thing he told me. Yes. So I'll be interested to see what that's like. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Jennifer Garner. Yeah, yeah. I want to be her friend. I know. Who doesn't? <laughs> I want to cook with her and her yeah. mom. And Ina Garten. <laughs> totally. Um, so I'm excited to see that. What makes a good adaptation for you? 
I've been thinking about this a lot this winter because in December I interviewed Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, who adapted Kindred for FX, and I thought he said something really insightful. He said that there are two kinds of adaptations. There are the kinds that like pull the book word for word. You know, they're trying to recreate the book on screen. And then there are the kinds that are trying to expand on the spirit of the work. Mm. So for me, there are two kinds of successful adaptations. There are ones that envision, just immerse you in the world and it's it's Faithful, like diving into the book. Yes. But Kindred, for example, brought Octavia Butler's novel out of the 70s and into 2016, which added this whole new layer of context to the book's questions about race and class and contemporary politics. So it was very different, but I think it it asked the questions she asked. It, it kept with the spirit of the book, and it was very successful for me in that sense, and now sadly canceled. <laughs> but Oh, I cause, because I haven't watched that. I think people slept on it. I, I wish FX had not brought it out at Christmas. Mm. It just kind of slipped under the radar, and they chose not to renew it. But we are kind of coming into a, a big moment for Octavia Butler. I think there are four other adaptations on the horizon, Ooh. not necessarily this year, but you know, people are discovering her, and I'm excited to see it happen. Not that she was undiscovered, but she'll certainly get wider acclaim. Yeah, and also bringing her work to newer generations. Yeah, a new readership. Like you said, reimagining those. I loved that, what you just said about taking the questions that were inside of work mm-hmm. and asking, A, are they resonant now? Maybe how more resonant. The, yeah, how have the questions changed or how have those the answers to those mm-hmm. questions changed? Mm-hmm. Whew, going, going deep. It's good, <laughs> it's good. Okay, I still want to talk about books mm-hmm. of this year or, or things you're looking forward to. What else? I'm really looking forward to the next Emma Klein, her next Ooh. novel. It's called The Guest, out in May. I loved the girls. I loved Daddy. It's very much in keeping with her other work, but it's about a young woman who has been in an arrangement with an older man where she's kind of a kept woman with him. She's his girlfriend living in his sumptuous house being part of his wealthy life. And when that arrangement ends, she's just kind of wandering around Long Island looking for a place to hang her hat, causing destruction. I think Emma Klein writes wonderfully about women alone and women on the brink. Um, there's a lot of destructive force there. And she, this this young woman's just a tornado moving through Long Island. Ooh. It's such a page turner in that sense, but really plums deep into the female psyche. That sounds amazing. It is. Okay. Okay, there's a book I wanted to ask you about. Mm. I don't know if you've read it, but I'd love you to talk about it if you have. And it's one that I wish I had read Mm. last year. And it's the Jenny O'Dell book, Saving Time. I have read it. Great. Yes. Okay. I'm obsessed with it. Pretty much everyone, maybe if we don't have time to read it, Mm. Adrian's going to just tell me about it. (laughs) It's a nonfiction book and it's called Saving Time, Discovering Life Beyond the Clock, which is everything I'm looking for right now in life, Mm -hmm. away from the clock, the phone, all of it. This book is my favorite kind of nonfiction that looks at something we take for granted or we take as essential or a given and completely blows it up. And the thing she's looking at is this notion that time is money that our relationship to time is very connected to labor and capitalism and that we can't understand life in any other context. So she kind of takes us through the history of time as labor, going all the way back to ancient times, especially looking at the labor movement in the 1800s and 1900s. But then she proposes this 
vision for a different future, about a different clock to live on. Maybe we could live on what she calls ecological time or on slow time. And it's, it's a what dense... What would that look like? Good question. Um, I read it a few months ago. <laughs> it's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to wrap your head around. But she wants us to be more in touch with the seasons, to live more deliberately. And, and she does acknowledge that there's a privilege in all of this, right? I mean, people need to make a living. Not all of us can just say, I don't want to live on capitalist time. That's not really realistic. But, but she writes about how there are small ways you can take back your time, even if it's just admiring the changing seasons in the tree outside your window. That can shift your notion of time. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. This is the struggle I'm having with my partner at the moment. Mm-hmm. He's very good at using his time mm-hmm. wisely, and I feel like I am not. But that's another thing Odell questions too. Why do we have this notion of wasting time? Like we have to question how we value time. Time you enjoy is not time wasted. I know, but I think, I mean, his point, but not that he's like judging me mm-hmm. in any way, but I think it's that, you know, when you're having discussions and you say to your person, you know, I wish this. And I think mm-hmm. he's like, well, if you wish... Mm-hmm. Why don't you do? <laughs> if only it were that easy. I know. <laughs> but I think I spend a lot of time faffing about. And sometimes that is quite creative mm-hmm. because you kind of get to a place of boredom or like kind of working through the anxiety, whether that's like cleaning up or mm-hmm. something. And then there's a kind of a calm mm-hmm. place to work from. But I'm just struggling with that. So wanting to, I think, create more time for the beauty. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that too, with having to create perfect conditions to be creative. I don't know. A lot of writers talk about this, that you just have to find it in you, whether you're on the train or at the kitchen table or whatever the context is. But it's It's, challenging. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. And I think a routine helps. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but not necessarily having the office be so structured is such a gift and a mm-hmm. pleasure, but then the days don't have a rhythm to yes. them. I, th- I think a lot about something Mary Oliver wrote about how creativity is like a cautious animal. If you show up at the same time every day, it will come to meet you. That's so beautiful. Isn't that lovely? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Oh, I think imagining it like that seems, instead of kind of being frustrated to try and, and summon it, I think mm-hmm. giving it as a little... Like a cat that like yeah. slinks in the room mm-hmm. is far more attractive. I know. <laughs> well, even just talking about this, something I've done, you know, that is trying to help just bring a little spark of calm and beauty and art into my life is I had a woman on the podcast last year called Clemency Burton Hill, mm-hmm. and she has written two books, and they're both very similar. One is called Year of Wonder. The next mm-hmm. is Another Year of Wonder. Mm-hmm. But it's every day there's a piece of classical music you can play and there's just one page about the composer wow. and her relationship to it. And that might be like, okay, boring composer. No, it's like these in a page, it's like the life of you know why this person mm-hmm. composed this music, what was going on in their life, what we know about them and mm-hmm. history. Sometimes it's a composer who 
decided to write something so wacky and crazy that mm-hmm. they couldn't even play it. They didn't even have the skills to play it. And then when it was finally time to being brought into the world, had to go find a musician, you know, good enough to mm-hmm. play whatever they've come up with. Anyway, it's just a, an incredible resource. And on Spotify, like yeah, on Spotify, she has all the months you can mm. all the music is there so you can just go okay on march 7th she talked about chopin's you know this mm-hmm. the other and the music is right there for you so that to me was just a, a bit of a solve for even just starting the day out mm. with that or ending the day with that we all need those bite-sized things like uh, people meditate in the morning they might do yoga they might listen to a piece of classical music sometimes i try to read a poem in the morning that's very centering and just a, a you know 3 minute outlay for something that really shifts your perspective on the day mm. but i think we like like you said earlier about those big novels they intimidate you out of reading them sometimes not that it's not a worthy project but we all need those little things that are inviting and clarifying. Definitely. Are there any poets you are drawn to at the moment? I love Jack Gilbert. I read him all the time. I don't know his work. What is Oh, man, it like? he's such an interesting guy. Um, I won the, He won the Yale Younger Poets Prize, I want to say in the 60s or 70s, and then disappeared from public life and would bring out a book every 10, 15 years. Um, he died, but... Esquire wrote about him back when he first became famous. Vogue photographed him. He was very handsome as a young man. And so everyone was just, who is this guy? I think Esquire wrote something about who is this man who writes such thunderous, shapely poems of such harsh knowing. Something to that effect. It's beautiful, but that's a great way to describe them. I think they're exquisite poems. But What did he, he do when he wasn't writing poetry? He was kind of a vagabond. He lived in Europe. He lived in Japan. He was married a few times. He, he did a lot of living. And it's all in the poems about eating chicken over a trash can, you know, just living in a small town, listening to the bells in the piazza in Italy. He lived such a full, traveled life. And it became the poems. Goodness, that's mm-hmm. lovely. That sounds like a great travel companion as well. Yeah, he would be. Hmm. Poems might be a great thing for travel, too. When you're catching snatches of time in between commitments. Let's talk about just TV. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be related to books. What are you watching right now? Mm -hmm. What do you think is excellent? Hmm. Um, Is there anything overlooked like you've already mentioned? While we're on the subject of adaptations, Mm -hmm. one that I think was overlooked was Interview with the Vampire on AMC last fall. Okay. Um, I mean, certainly... Fans of the novels loved it, but I think it should have gotten wider recognition. It was just a luscious, beautiful adaptation that updated the source material by having Louis, the character who in the novel is described as a white Creole man, they updated him to be a black man. And they changed the setting from 1700s New Orleans to early 1900s New Orleans. So again, it's very in keeping with the spirit of the work, but draws out all of these new questions about race and context that were there, but weren't addressed in this way. And everything you love about these books is there too. I read these books way too young, probably at 12 or 13, and they were so formative for me. Have you read them? I haven't. Oh man, treat yourself. I think there's maybe 14 in the whole series, but they're just luscious, purple prosy novels about vampires fighting and loving 
And, you know, they flit all around the world. They're in New Orleans and Paris and Prague. And the series was just such a sumptuous fantasy. Oh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Well, the 14 books of them, like almost in that way that the thick novel is intimidating. I'm like, oh my gosh, where do I start? With the first one, with yeah, Interview with the Vampire. You're right, you're right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Anne, and Anne Rice was such a character that she would show up to her readings dressed as a vampire bride. It's it's a fun world to live in. We should bring that back. I know, right? You know? <laughs> readings can be, even now, I did it like an author event the other day and the organizer said, you know, is the author going to read? And I said, oh, God, no. Mm-hmm. You know, no. <laughs> Who wants that? Um, Next time I come back, I'll come in costume. Exactly. And not because he's not, he's a great reader, mm-hmm. but it just sometimes flattens. It like does. Readings can just really flatten the work that when read inside of our mm-hmm. own minds is so much more exciting. Well, we all take in information differently. I, I'm not a big audiobook person because I don't absorb information well in that format. So even though I'm such a reader, if I go to a reading, I might find my brain going dead listening to the reading because it just, it's not how I consume information. Yeah. We all have those differences. Completely. I think too, I don't know about you, it felt like, you know, we're so fortunate to live in New York and there's so many fabulous events with authors and people are always coming through and at bookstores. And then I think COVID kind of, you know, stopped all of that and we rethought, how do we do book events. Mm-hmm. Were they that fun? Mm-hmm. You know, how could we zhuzh them up a bit? Now, I don't necessarily have the answer because I'm not sure, but I think it's still that, you know, charismatic connection between two people talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting just how different creative mediums are better told in different ways. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling very electrified by book events. Oh, good. But post-pandemic, I say that in in quotes. We are not post-pandemic, but um, I love having the audience at home, both as a member of the audience at home and as the moderator sometimes. I think we've really just enlarged the room. And and that's the zhuzhing up. There was a time I hosted a panel with the Brooklyn Public Library about Slaughterhouse-Five. It was some anniversary of that. And some of the older folks at home forgot to turn off their cameras, which was very endearing. But I could see them all making dinner at 7 p.m. just with the laptop propped on their counters. And I was so charmed by that, that we can be part of someone's evening in a different way. If you're not in New York, that's fine. You can still come. Okay, so, I mean, I always ask everyone this. What is lighting you up at the moment? And it could be about a book, Mm -hmm. film or TV, or even just something you're excited to see happening in the culture. Hmm. This is maybe a very earnest answer, but I feel like a lot of the work we do is being alone a lot. And that and that's a good thing. You know, we wouldn't do this if we didn't enjoy it. But the the life of the mind, the life of the reader is very lonely. And the thing that has been lighting me up lately has been great collaborations. Whether it's a conversation like this or it's editing a piece with a writer and spending a lot of time kind of getting our hands dirty on it. It's very enlivening, and I think after a, a long couple of years of just being at home with our books, that's really lighting me up. Oh, that's wonderful. I feel the same, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so lovely to have you it's here so again. It's so wonderful to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you'll be back again. I would be honored. I'll be in costume. That's out. Okay, <laughs> I'm holding you to it. We'll both be in costume. Mm-hmm. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Angie. 
Bye. Bye. Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Olivia Allmeyer is the marketing and editorial consultant. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Andre Rodofsky wrote the theme music. See you in two weeks. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.